Chapter Nine, Part Two of Five, of Herndon's Lincoln. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Vicky Rands. Speed, having now safely married, Lincoln's mind began to turn on things nearer home. His relations with Mary Todd were still strained, but reminders of his period of gloom the year before began now to bring her again into view. In a letter to Speed, March 27th, he says, It cannot be told how it thrills me with joy to hear you say you are far happier than you ever expected to be. That much I know is enough. I know you too well to suppose your expectations were not at least sometimes extravagant, and if the reality exceeds them all, I say, Enough, dear Lord, I am not going beyond the truth when I tell you that the short space it took me to read your last letter gave me more pleasure than the total sum of all I have enjoyed since that fatal first of January, 1841 since then it seems to me i should have been entirely happy but for the never absent idea that there is one still unhappy whom i have contributed to make so that kills my soul i cannot but reproach myself for even wishing to be happy while she is otherwise she accompanied a large party on the railroad cars to jacksonville last monday and on her return spoke so that i heard of it of having enjoyed the trip exceedingly god be praised for that the last paragraph of this letter contains a bit of sentiment by lincoln in acknowledgment of a violet in the margin of the letter which he gave me speed made this note in pencil the violet was sent by my wife who dropped it in the letter as i was in the act of sealing it how beautiful the acknowledgment this is the paragraph the sweet violet you enclosed came safely to hand, but it was so dry and mashed so flat that it crumbled to dust at the first attempt to handle it. The juice that mashed out of it stained a place in the letter, which I mean to preserve and cherish for the sake of her who procured it to be sent. My renewed good wishes to her. Meanwhile, the coldness that existed between Lincoln and his Mary was gradually passing away and with it went all of Lincoln's resolution never to renew the engagement. In a letter July 4th he says, I must gain confidence in my own ability to keep my resolves when they are made. In that ability I once prided myself as the only chief gem of my character. That gem I lost. How and where you know too well. I have not regained it, and until I do I cannot trust myself in any matter of such importance. I believe now that had you understood my case at the time as well as I understood yours afterwards, by the aid you would have given me, I should have sailed through clear, but that does not now afford me sufficient confidence to begin that or the like of that again. I was always superstitious. I believe God made me one of the instruments of bringing Fanny and you together, which union I have no doubt he had foreordained whatever he designs he will do for me yet stand still and see the salvation of the lord is my text just now if as you say you have told fanny all i should have no objection to her seeing this letter 
but for its reference to our friend here let her sing it depend upon whether she has ever known anything of my affairs and if she has not do not let her i do not think i can come to kentucky this season i am so poor and make so little headway in the world that i drop back in a month of idleness as much as i gain in a year's sewing the last letter and the one which closes the series was written october fifth eighteen forty two in it he simply announces his duel with shields and then goes on to narrate the particulars of the dueling business which still rages in the city this referred to a challenge from the belligerent shields to william butler and another from general whitesides to dr merriman in the latter lincoln acted as the friend of merriman but in neither case was there any encounter and both ended in smoke the concluding paragraph of this letter is the most singular in the entire correspondence i give it entire without further comment that i began this letter not for what i have been writing but to say something on that subject which you know to be of infinite solicitude to me the immense sufferings you endured from the first days of september till the middle of february you never tried to conceal from me and i well understood you have now been the husband of a lovely woman nearly eight months that you are happier now than the day you married her i well know for without you could not be living but i have your word for it too and the returning elasticity of spirits which is manifested in your letters but i want to ask a close question are you in feeling as well as judgment glad you are married as you are from anybody but me this would be an impudent question not to be tolerated but i know you will pardon it in me please answer it quickly as i am impatient to know lincoln again applied himself to the law he re-entered the practice after the long hiatus of rest with renewed vigor he permitted the memory of his engagement with mary todd to trouble him no longer their paths had diverged the pain of the separation was over and the whole thing was a history of the past and so it might ever have remained but for the intervention of a very shrewd and sagacious lady one who was capable of achieving success anywhere in the ranks of diplomacy this lady was the wife of simeon francis the editor of the sangamon journal she was a warm friend of mary todd and a leader in society her husband was warmly attached to lincoln he ran the whig organ and entertained great admiration for lincoln's brains and noble qualities the esteem was mutual and it is no stretch of the truth to say that for years lincoln exercised undisputed control of the columns of the journal himself whatever he wrote or had written went into the editorial page without question mrs francis sharing her husband's view of lincoln's glorious possibilities and desiring to do mary todd a kindly act determined to bring about a reconciliation she knew that miss todd had by letter a few days after the fatal first of january eighteen forty one as lincoln styled it released him from the engagement and that since then their relations had been strained if not entirely broken off as she viewed it a marriage between a man as promising in the political world as lincoln 
and a woman as accomplished and brilliant in society as mary todd would certainly add to the attractions of springfield and reflect great credit on those who brought the union about she was a great social entertainer and one day arranged a gathering at her house for the express purpose of bringing these two people together both were invited and both attended but neither suspected the other's presence having arranged things so ingenuously and with so much discretion it was no difficult task for the hostess to bring the couple together by a warm introduction and the encouraging admonition be friends again much to the surprise of both they found the web woven around them they entered into the spirit of the reconciliation and found mrs francis's roof an inviting place for many succeeding meetings a wall reared itself between them in the past and they started again under the auspicious omens of another engagement the tact of a woman and the diplomacy of society had accomplished what love had long since despaired of ever doing or seeing done the meetings in the parlor of mrs francis's house were conducted with no little privacy at first even mrs edwards knew nothing of it but presently it came to her ears i asked mary said this lady why she was so secretive about it she said evasively that after all that had occurred it was best to keep the courtship from all eyes and ears men and women and the whole world were uncertain and slippery and if misfortune befell the engagement all knowledge of it would be hidden from the world it is unnecessary to prolong the account of this strange and checkered courtship the intervention of the affair with shields which will be detailed in a subsequent chapter in no way impeded if it did not hasten the marriage one morning in november lincoln hastening to the room of his friend james h matheny before the latter had arisen from bed informed him that he was to be married that night and requested him to attend as best man footnote marriages in springfield up to that time had been rather commonplace affairs lincoln's was perhaps the first one ever performed with all the requirements of the episcopal ceremony a goodly number of friends had gathered and while witnessing the ceremony one of the most amusing incidents imaginable occurred no description on paper can do it justice among those present was thomas c brown one of the judges of the supreme court he was in truth an old-timer and had the virtue of saying just what he thought without regard to place or surroundings he had been on the bench for many years and was not less rough than quaint and curious there was of course a perfect hush in the room as the ceremony progressed brown was standing just behind lincoln old parson dresser in canonical robes with much and impressive solemnity recited the episcopal service he handed lincoln the ring who placing it on the bride's finger repeated the church formula with this ring i thee endow with all my goods and chattels lands and tenements brown who had never witnessed such a proceeding was struck with its utter absurdity god almighty lincoln he ejaculated loud enough to be heard by all the statute fixes all that this unlooked-for interruption almost upset the old parson 
he had a keen sense of the ridiculous and for the moment it seemed as if he would break down but presently recovering his gravity he hastily pronounced them husband and wife letter from james h matheny august twenty first eighteen eighty eight end of footnote that same morning miss todd called on her friend julia m jane who afterward married lyman trumbull and made a similar request the edwardses were notified and made such meagre preparations as were possible on so short notice license was obtained during the day the minister charles n dresser was sent for and in the evening of november fourth eighteen forty two as pale and trembling as if being driven to slaughter abraham lincoln was at last married to mary todd footnote while dressing for the wedding in his room at butler's house the latter's little boy speed seeing lincoln so handsomely attired in boyish innocence asked him where he was going to hell i suppose was lincoln's reply End of footnote. one great trial of his life was now over and another still greater one was yet to come to me it always seemed plain that mr lincoln married mary todd to save his honor and in doing so that he sacrificed his domestic peace he had searched himself subjectively introspectively thoroughly he knew he did not love her but he had promised to marry her the hideous thought came up like a nightmare as the fatal first of january eighteen forty one neared the clouds around him blackened the heavens and his life almost went out with the storm but soon the skies cleared friends interposed their aid to avert a calamity and at last he stood face to face with great conflict between honor and domestic peace he chose the former and with it years of self-torture sacrificial pangs and the loss forever of a happy home with miss todd a different motive but one equally as unfortunate prompted her adherence to the union to marry lincoln meant not a life of luxury and ease for lincoln was not a man to accumulate wealth but in him she saw position in society prominence in the world and the grandest social distinction by that means her ambition would be satisfied until that fatal new year's day in eighteen forty one she may have loved him but his action on that occasion forfeited her affection he had crushed her proud womanly spirit she felt degraded in the eyes of the world love fled at the approach of revenge some writer it is junius i believe has said that injuries may be forgiven and forgotten but insults admit of no compensation they degrade the mind in its own self-esteem and force it to recover its level by revenge whether mrs lincoln really was moved by the spirit of revenge or not she acted along the lines of human conduct she led her husband a wild and merry dance if in time she became soured at the world it was not without provocation and if in later years she unchained the bitterness of a disappointed and outraged nature it followed as logically as an effect does the cause i have told the sad story as i know and have learned it in rehearsing the varied scenes of the drama 
I have unearthed a few facts that seem half buried, perhaps, but they were not destined to lay buried deep or long. The world will have the truth as long as the name of Lincoln is remembered by mankind. Footnote. For many years I had reason to believe that Sarah Rickard, who was the sister of Mrs. William Butler, had been the recipient of some attentions at the hand of Mr. Lincoln. The lady, long since married, is now living in a western state. I applied to her for information recently, and after some entreaty received this answer in her own handwriting. As an old friend, I will answer the question propounded to me. Though I can scarcely see what good it can do history, Mr. Lincoln did make a proposal of marriage to me in the summer, or perhaps later, in the year of 1840. He brought to my attention the accounts in the Bible of the patriarch Abraham's marriage to Sarah, and used that historical union as an argument in his own behalf. My reason for declining his proposal was the wide difference in our ages. I was then only sixteen, and had given the subject of matrimony but very little, if any, thought. I entertained the highest regard for Mr. Lincoln. He seemed almost like an older brother, being, as it were, one of my sister's family. End of footnote. There were two things Mr. Lincoln always seemed willing to forget. One was his unparliamentary escape with Joseph Gillespie from the legislature by jumping through the church window in 1839, and the other was the difficulty with James Shields, or as he expressed it in a letter to Speed, the duel with Shields. Other incidents in his career he frequently called up in conversation with friends, but in after years he seldom if ever referred to the affair with Shields. People in Illinois did gradually forget, or at least cease mention of it. But in more remote quarters, where Mr. Lincoln was less extensively known, the thing, much to his regret, kept rising to the surface. During a visit which I made to the Eastern States in 1858, I was often asked for an account of the so-called duel, so often, in fact, that on my return home I told Mr. Lincoln of it. If all the good things I have ever done, he said regretfully, are remembered as long and well as my scrape with shields, it is plain I shall not soon be forgotten. James Shield, a gallant hot-headed bachelor from Tyrone County, Ireland, and a man of inordinate vanity, had been elected auditor of state, encouraged somewhat by the prominence the office gave him he at once assumed a conspicuous position in the society of springfield he was extremely sensitive by nature but exposed himself to merciless ridicule by attempting to establish his supremacy as a beau among the ladies blind to his own defects and very pronounced in support of every act of the democratic party he made himself the target for all the bitterness and ridicule of the day. It happened that the financial resources of the state, owing to the collapse of the great internal improvement system, were exceedingly limited, and people were growing restless under what they deemed excessive taxation. The state officers were all Democrats, and during the summer they issued an order declining to receive any more state bank notes or bills in payment of taxes. This made the taxpayers' burden greater than ever. As much of this paper remained outside 
in the hands of the people the order met with opposition from every quarter the whigs of course losing no opportunity to make it as odious as possible it was perfectly natural therefore that such an ardent whig as lincoln should join in the popular denunciation through the columns of the springfield journal of which he had the undisputed use he determined to encourage the opposition by the use of his pen no object seemed to merit more ridicule and character than the conspicuous figure of the auditor of state at this time lincoln was enjoying stolen conferences under the hospitable roof of mrs francis with mary todd and her friend julia m jane these two young ladies to whom he confided his purpose encouraged it and offered to lend their aid here he caught the idea of puncturing shields the thing took shape in an article published in the journal purporting to have come from a poor widow who with her pockets full of state bank paper was still unable to obtain the coveted receipt for her taxes it was written by lincoln and was headed a letter from the lost townships lost townships august twenty seventh eighteen forty two dear mr printer i see you printed that long letter i sent you a spell ago i'm quite encouraged by it and can't keep from writing again i think the printing of my letters will be a good thing all around it will give me the benefit of being known by the world and give the world the advantage of knowing what's going on in the lost townships and give your paper respectability besides so here comes another yesterday afternoon i hurried through cleaning up the dinner dishes and stepped over to neighbor s's to see if his wife peggy was as well as must be expected and hear what they called the baby well when i got there and just turned round the corner of his log cabin there he was sitting on the doorstep reading a newspaper how are you jeff says i he sorter started when he heard me for he hadn't seen me before why says he why i'm mad as the devil aunt becca what about says i ain't its hair the right color none of that nonsense jeff there ain't an honester woman in the lost townships than than who he says he what the mischief are you about i began to see i was running the wrong trail and so says i oh nothing i guess i was mistaken a little that's all but what is it you're mad about why says he i've been tugging ever since harvest getting out weed and hauling it to the river to raise state bank paper enough to pay my tax this year and a little school debt i owe and now just as i've got it here i open this infernal extra register expecting to find it full of glorious democratic victories and high-combed cocks when lo and behold i find a set of fellows calling themselves officers of the state have forbidden the tax collectors and school commissioners to receive state paper at all and so here it is dead on my hands i don't now believe all the plunder i've got will fetch ready cash enough to pay my taxes in that school debt i was a good deal thunderstruck myself for that was the first i had heard of the proclamation 
and my old man was pretty much in the same fix with Jeff. We both stood a moment staring at one another, without knowing what to say. At last, says I, Mr. S., let me look at that paper. He handed it over to me when I read the proclamation over. There now, says he, did you ever see such a piece of impudence and imposition as that? I saw Jeff was in a good tune for saying some ill-natured things, and so I thought I would just argue a little on the contrary side, and make him rant a spell if I could. Why, says I, looking as dignified and thoughtful as I could, it seems pretty tough to be sure to have to raise silver when there's none to be raised, but then, you see, there will be danger of loss if it ain't done. Loss, damnation, says he, I defy Daniel Webster, I defy King Solomon, I defy the world, I defy, I defy, yes, I defy even you, Aunt Becca, to show how the people can lose anything by paying their taxes in state paper. Well, says I, you see what the officers of state say about it, and they are a discerning set of men. But, says I, I guess you're mistaken about what the proclamation says. It don't say the people will lose anything by the paper money being taken for taxes. It only says there will be danger of loss, and though it is tolerable plain that the people can't lose by paying their taxes in something they can get easier than silver, instead of having to pay silver, and though it's just as plain that the state can't lose by taking state bank paper, however low it may be, while she owes the bank more than the whole revenue, and can pay the paper over on her debt, dollar for dollar, still there is danger of loss to the officers of state. And you know, Jeff, we can't get along without officers of state, damn officers of state says he that's what whigs are always hurrahing for now don't swear so jeff says i you know i belong to the meetin' and swearin' hurts my feelings beg pardon aunt becca says he but i do say it's enough to make dr goddard swear to have tax to pay in silver for nothin' only that ford may get his two thousand a year and Shields his twenty-four hundred a year, and Carpenter his sixteen hundred a year, and all without danger of loss by taking it in state paper. Yes, yes, it's plain enough now what these officers of state mean by danger of loss. Wash, I suppose, actually lost fifteen hundred dollars out of the three thousand that two of these officers of state let him steal from the treasury by being compelled to take it in state paper wonder if we don't have a proclamation before long commanding us to make up this loss to wash in silver and so he went on till his breath ran out and he had to stop i couldn't think of anything to say just then and so i began to look over the paper again hey here's another proclamation or something like it another says jeff and whose is it pray i looked to the bottom of it and read aloud 
your obedient servant james shield auditor aha says jeff one of them same three fellows again well read it let's hear what of it i read on till i came to where it says the object of this measure is to suspend the collection of the revenue for the current year now stop now stop he said that's a lie already and i don't want to hear of it oh maybe not says i i say it is a lie suspend the collection indeed will the collectors that have taken their oaths to make the collection dare to suspend it is there anything in law requiring them to perjure themselves at the bidding of james shields will the greedy gullet of the penitentiary be satisfied with swallowing him instead of all of them if they should venture to obey him and would he not discover some danger of loss and be off about the time it came to be taken their places and suppose the people attempt to suspend by refusing to pay what then the collectors would just jerk up their horses and cows and the like and sell them to the highest bidder for silver in hand without valuation or redemption why shields didn't believe that story himself it was never meant for the truth if it was true why was it not writ till five days after the proclamation why didn't carlin and carpenter sign it as well as shields answer me that aunt becca i say it's a lie and not a well-told one at that it grins out like a copper dollar shields is a fool as well as a liar with him truth is out of the question and as for getting a good bright passable lie out of him you might as well try to strike fire from a cake of tallow i stick to it it's all an infernal wig lie a wig lie hidey tidy yes a wig lie and it's just like everything the cursed british wigs do first they'll do some devilment and then they will tell a lie to hide it and they don't care how plain a lie it is they think they can cram any sort of a one down the throats of the ignorant locofocos as they call the democrats why jeff you're crazy you don't mean to say shields is a whig yes i do why look here the proclamation is in your own democratic paper as you call it i know it and what of that they only printed it to let us democrats see the deviltry the whigs are at well but shields is the auditor of this loco i mean this democratic state so he is and tyler appointed him to office tyler appointed him yes if you must chaw it over tyler appointed him or if it wasn't him it was old granny harrison and that's all one i tell you aunt becca there's no mistake about his being a whig why his very looks show it everything about him shows it if i was deaf and blind i could tell him by the smell i seed him when i was down in springfield last winter 
they had a sort of gathering there one night among the grandees they called a fair all the gals about the town was there and all the handsome widows and married women finicking about trying to look like gals tied as tight in the middle and puffed out at both ends like bundles of fodder that hadn't been stacked yet but wanting stacking pretty bad and then they had tables all around the house kivered over with caps and pincushions and ten thousand such little knick-knacks trying to sell em to the fellows that were bowing and scraping and cungering about em they wouldn't let no democrats in for fear they'd disgust the ladies or scare the little gals or dirty the floor i looked in at the window and there was the same fellow shields floating about on the air without heft or earthly substances just like a lock of cat fur where cats had been fighting he was paying his money to this one and that one and to the other and suffering great loss because it wasn't silver instead of state paper and the sweet distress he seemed to be in his very features in the ecstatic agony of his soul spoke audibly and distinctly dear girls it is distressing but i cannot marry you all too well i know how much you suffer but do do remember it's not my fault that i am so handsome and so interesting as this last was expressed by a most exquisite contortion of his face he seized hold of one of their hands and squeezed and held on to it about a quarter of an hour oh my good fellow says i to myself if that was one of our democratic gals in the lost townships the way you'd get a brass pin let into you would be about up to the head he a democrat fiddlesticks i tell you aunt becca he's a whig and no mistake nobody but a whig can make such a conceity dunce of himself well says i maybe he is but if he is i'm mistaken the worst sort maybe so maybe so but if i am i'll suffer by it i'll be a democrat if it turns out that shields is a whig considering you shall be a whig if he turns out a democrat a bargain by jingoes says he but how will we find out why says i we'll just write and ax the printer agreed again says he and by thunder if it does turn out that shields is a democrat i never will jefferson jefferson what do you want peggy do get through your everlasting clatter some time and bring me a gourd of water the child's been crying for a drink this live-long hour let it die then it may as well die for water as to be taxed to death to fatten officers of state jeff ran out to get the water though just like he hadn't been saying anything spiteful for he's a real good-hearted fella after all once you get at this foundation of him i walked into the house and why peggy says i i declare we like to forget you altogether oh yes says she when a body can't help themselves everybody soon forgets em 
but thank god by day after to-morrow i shall be well enough to milk the cows and pen the calves and wring the contrary one's tails for em and no thanks to nobody good evening peggy says i and so i sloped for i seed she was mad at me for making jeff neglect her so long and now mr printer will you be sure to let us know in your next paper whether this shields is a whig or a democrat i don't care about it for myself for i know well enough how it is already but i want to convince jeff it may do some good to let him and others like him know who and what these officers of state are it may help to send the present hypocritical set to where they belong and to fill the places they now disgrace with men who will do more work for less pay and take a few airs while they're doing it it ain't sensible to think that the same men who get us into trouble will change their course and yet it's pretty plain if some change for the better is not made it's not long that either peggy or i or any of us will have a cow left to milk or a calf's tail to ring yours truly rebecca end of section thirteen recording by vicky rands